Welcome to another episode of the La Brea Prevea, where we recap and deep dive into the NBC sci-fi adventure drama, La Brea. I am your purveyor, Pete Phillips. We are in the season finale now. Part one of two is here. It's got Crocs, Glocks, and an always ticking clock. Let's begin. Episode Recap This time we start in 10,000 BC, which is nice. Every episode has been starting in 2021, and I'm glad that we are starting at the core of the show here. The Eve Covery team, which is the team that is recovering Eve, is trying to bargain via computer with Eve's captors, but the captor always cuts the line right when they get to a good idea. Conveniently, after that connection is cut, Maya shows up all gung-ho to get traveling to trade that chip. She should probably be trying to get Petra thrown into the trade, but she isn't probably because she's in on it all. Sam is complicated, isn't he? It feels like he's always telling other people how they feel. And in this case, he's telling Lucas that he's mad about Scott and that he's going to do something irrational. But Lucas reminds us and Sam that Mary Beth once existed. He's just visiting his mom's grave to think clearer. It's true he's also using it to gain perspective on Scott's situation and what to do in response to it. He also suspects that there's someone leaking information to the bad guys. Maya? Maya. Gavin gets this idea to destroy the chip everyone's been after, and Maya catches him right before he's going to do it. She pulls a gun on him. What are you doing? I'm taking back what's mine. Sam arrives with his gun, and Ty disarms her. These guys are getting pretty good at working as a team. I can't tell if it was totally a setup, but in the end, she is tied up. Elsewhere, Veronica is setting the table, I assume for some council stuff, and she drops a rock, I think. It echoes off the ground, and Veronica discovers something unexpected. A door. And under the door is a case. And inside of the case is a radio from Ladera Air Force Base. With an L. Everybody, I had a great time and laughed very hard when I learned that all this time they've been saying... Ladera Air Force Base, not Madera Air Force Base, which is what I've been researching for this show. After learning the proper spelling and doing a bunch of Googling, you'll find out that Ladera Ranch is actually a community in Orange County, California. It's about an hour's drive from LA proper, or a 21 and a half hour walk. The translation for Ladera is hillside. I also thought that Helena was named Eleanor. I think I need subtitles, or maybe a hearing aid. Anyway, Veronica is stunned at this discovery. It's a phone that we can assume goes to the place that it's labeled. So she decides to share this information with Lucas. Remember, he does think that someone is feeding information to the bad guys. And this makes the council look like the corrupt punks who would do it. Now it's not just one leak, it's more, because we don't know how many. Babe, we're sinking. Veronica decides that she's going to try to investigate further before getting Lucas more involved. Next, we see a chopper flying toward the base, which just seems too contemporary. I expected there to be an airstrip in the woods, not a building and paved roads. And once we end up inside of one of these buildings, we discover that Levi is alive, but he says he hasn't seen Petra. Levi starts pressing Scott about the paper that he wrote, but Scott says he was high when he wrote the paper, as if to say he doesn't remember what's in it. Then some guards come and take Levi away, presumably for more interrogation. Although they've had him for weeks now, what more do they expect to get out of him? 
Instead of asking Maya what she meant when she said that she wanted to take what's hers, old Tunnel Vision Gavin demands to know where Eve is. According to a Lifehacker piece that spotlights an investigative journalist, extracting information from someone can be done with some fairly simple means. First, don't demand openness. Probably don't demand anything. Next, be empathetic. Try to see where the subject is coming from and what they stand to gain. Also, be patient. Don't get in someone's face and yell at them. Another source suggests letting silence hang in the conversation. The subject may try to fill it, leading to more openness. Indirectness can also help tease out information about a subject. This may be more effective than just asking someone to lay it out all at once. It turns out that Maya had a tracking device on all along, and some soldiers come to break up this lame interrogation that Gavin is conducting. Maya takes the chip, and bullets start flying, but they're flying at the guys with the guns. Who is this sharpshooter blowing away henchmen? It's Helena. So she can jump back and forth in time, too, which is good to know. And she's also not happy that Maya just took the chip and ran. Maya Schmidt is the head of a private security company called the Rysander Group. The Air Force contracted her to create fighter planes with time travel capability. Only a handful of people are aware it exists, and no one knows her real plan. To sell the planes to the highest bidder, no questions asked. We have to stop her. We have to get to that base now. So it turns out that Maya is a profiteer, so she's bad. But Helena? She won't make peace with Gavin, so she's also kind of bad in this situation. At the council meeting, a guy puts it to a vote to evict all of the Sky people from the fort. And that bugs Veronica enough to really get to the bottom of this airbase radio with the delicacy of a jackhammer. She brings it out of the floor, and most council members are shocked and surprised. I admit, I can never read Ruth. The actor is either very good at a poker face, or she just doesn't emote very well. Ruth suggests they take a break, and she exits. And boy, does she exit hard. She exits the council hut, and then the camp, and then the whole area. Looks like we got a runner. Layla and Izzy are on a daytime stroll through the woods. They continue to open up to one another. But Layla says she thinks that she has a way that they could just live, not struggle so much to survive. She's going to show Izzy what she means, but Izzy's fears about Gavin's safety override her interest in a happy life. As Maya rolls up on base, I guess her base, she is greeted by a soldier who presents Levi as the chief officer who interrogated Scott. A most untrustworthy associate. Levi, being Levi, is playing against his friends. No, wait, he's playing against Maya. So, understandably, Scott seems a little cautious. My allegiance is to my friends, and that includes you. First, I wouldn't call us friends, okay? All I know about you is that you slept with Gavin's wife and tried to kill his dad. And if you truly are on our side, why are you still here? Levi says he doesn't have time to explain his whole plan to Scott, which I respect. But even if he did explain, would it be worth believing? I know it's a lot of exposition, but Levi continues to say that something about fossilized plants is the key to time travel. I thought the chip was the key to time travel. I guess we'll find out what's going on because Maya's coming. Now it's Scott versus two liars. They're really pushing on Scott to find out if he told anyone about his paper. Like, of course he did. People write papers to either get published or for an assignment. In both scenarios, they are for someone else to read. In any event, Levi suggests that they move Scott off-site, while the Eve Covery team coasts down the river on a surprise raft 
a big crocodile appears and hits the boat. Uh, I see Killer Croc is here. Helena falls off. While this would be a good time for Gavin to prove he loves his sister and wants to be a good brother, he doesn't jump in after her. He just says, swim over here. But when Helena disappears underwater, he does just that. He jumps in and they swim to the raft and outrun the croc. Crocodiles are extremely fast in the water, swimming at speeds up to 22 miles per hour. They use their powerful tails to propel themselves. In 2007, Michael Phelps reached 8.8 miles per hour wearing a monofin, but the fastest unassisted human swimmers have reached speeds of 5 to 6 miles per hour over short distances. But we knew that part of the episode wasn't realistic. And we may have thought that crocs have thick skin. This is true. They also have bony plates under the skin that serve as a shield to inner layers. The ultra-tough skin, bone-like scales, and strength of these water animals make people believe that they might be impervious to bullets. Though a large, fully-grown crocodile could survive a shot from a smaller weapon, multiple gunshots can take a crocodile down, regardless of its size. And Sam was laying on those bullets pretty hard. Suddenly, they're off the raft and on land. The preview made it look like the whole episode was going to be on the raft, but I'm honestly glad that it was short. The green screen was pretty shabby looking. But now, they're coming up on the base. Here we go, baby. Off in the woods, Lucas finds Ruth and confronts her with Veronica. Ruth is evasive during the questioning about why she's betrayed her people, but the truth eventually comes out. She's covering for... Layla has this plan where she and Izzy can go through an aurora and start a new life together somewhere else. Damn, girl. You need to slow down with that. The aurora isn't there, though. And who told you there was going to be an aurora here anyway? It was Maya Schmidt. But she lied to you like she lies to everyone else. Lucas gives Layla a chance to redeem herself by entering a code into the radio that she planted to spy on the Fort Council. Apparently, with a military-grade radio... You just have to hit a button, and then you can eavesdrop on the other side. It works, and they learn that the soldiers have recently been tasked with taking out three males and one female. Oh my gosh, that's the Eve Covery team. They have to help, or at least warn them. Next, Levi is escorting Scott to the place where they're keeping Eve. He wants to get her out of there, but Izzy appears out of nowhere, making the soldiers take aim at her. Levi and Scott have no choice but to fight those soldiers. Scott is wounded, but he's saved by Lucas at the very last minute. Now, free of his baggage of co-henchmen, Levi sets off to thwart the effort to kill the Eve Covery team. He distracts the would-be killers, and between him and Sam shooting, these soldiers are toast. Oh, except for that one guy who shoots Levi in the gut. Izzy kills the guy at the same time that he shoots Levi, but she can't undo Levi's wound. Yeah, it is pretty bad, dude. And I think this is for the best, guys. Levi was heroic at the end, and that's all he could be, especially after totally screwing them from getting home last season. It's good that he's dying having done right. Levi and Gavin also bro down one more time before he dies. After some time, Sam is like, dude, we gotta get moving. And they do. After more travel, they arrive face-to-face with a double aurora. And this is where the detention center is supposed to be. And Gavin sees red on the screen of a tablet that they took off of a guard. So, he thinks that they should go to the Red Aurora and head to 1965, which is what Helena wanted anyway. We should have listened to her. We should have listened to her. 
So now Gavin wants to take this trip and destroy Maya's whole situation before it rises to the level that it is now. Also, Scott stays behind for some reason, and I'm sure that we'll learn that next episode. What just happened? I know I'm going to sound a little contrary, but I kind of missed 2021 this episode. Like, what happened? Did Sam just go back to work? And what is Gavin doing? Like, if he warned Eve not to drive the kids to school that way because a big hole is going to open in the ground and suck them in, I'm sure she thinks he's nuts. And wouldn't he look even more nuts if there is no hole because they succeed at what they're doing right now? That's a very good question. How about Layla getting scammed by Maya? How about Layla wanting to escape in time with Izzy to start a new life? How about Layla getting her own spin-off Lifetime original movie called The Wrong Fort Warrior, colon, flirting with fate? This girl dates like Vin Diesel. Fast and furious. We got so much about Layla in so short of a time. Will we even begin to recover by next episode? That's a very good question. Just for the sake of saying so, and I'm not a scientist at all, but prehistoric plants being the key to time travel? I mean, I can find plenty on tech helping farming, and plenty on tech helping keep plants alive, and tech that uses plants to provide alternatives, and ways that parts of plants can replace other inorganic pieces of tech, but I can't find anything where a plant is solely responsible for tech. So, what's going on here? That's a very good question. When not dealing heroin, not coke, sorry about last episode, Lucas seems to have been a budding ham radio enthusiast. And yes, contrary to my previous assumption, you can set a transceiver to only listen to airwaves. You just need someone who knows how to disable the transmitting out. And that's where Lucas's credentials come in. This just makes me wonder what other secret talents members of our team have. Can Ty make a mean croak ambush? Is Veronica a ventriloquist? Does Gavin have a great novel inside of him? That's a very good question. So why does Scott stay behind at the end of the episode? Is it because he's Lucas's best friend? Friendship is interesting in La Brea because Lucas says that Scott is his best friend, and Scott says that Josh is his best friend, and we all know that Josh only cares about himself. Josh, go put those corn dogs back. And Scott also says he's not friends with Levi. So, I don't know. Maybe Scott stayed behind to be of service to the others. He still hasn't found Petra. So is that the last piece of his character arc that he has to fulfill? That's a very good question. Since we're so close to the end, I have to ask, conceptually, is there any chance that they get home-home? They would need to arrive in 2021 after the hole, right? But Ty appeared in 2021 before the hole. In other words, if Scott went through the blue at the end of this episode, he would likely land in 2021, like Ty, before the hole. And then we would have two Scots. And Scott Prime's best hope is that second Scott would fall into the hole and he could take over that Scott's life. Or would Scott have to kill his double? That's too much. But I guess I'm just wondering, after all that these folks have been through, can they ever get home with these damn auroras that are going who knows when? That's a very good question. And finally, they're in 1965 now. So which blue portal will they use to try to get home? That's a very good question. See you last episode for more information on that. Digging Deeper this episode was dedicated to the memory of Peter Mustin, a line producer and production manager with more than two decades of experience in the field. 
He died at 64 on October 11th, 2023, after a cardiac incident. He served in these two roles on La Brea. Originally from Sydney, Mustin began his television career as a location manager on the Melbourne set 90s drama Stingers, going on to provide location services for more than 20 titles across the next 15 years, including the recent Amazon original series Deadlock. Deadlock co-creator Kate McCartney was among those to pay tribute to Mustin, noting that he, quote, seemed to exemplify the best of people in the industry, and frankly, just people in general. She goes on to say, He was such a genuinely delightful, kind, good egg of a person, and I feel such incredible gratitude for having a little taste of that during the shoot. Her sentiments were echoed by La Brea executive producer and director Adam Davidson, who said that he was, quote, so grateful to have the experience to work with Mustin. He was in a class unto himself, smart, funny, reasonable, charming, gentlemanly, erudite, and a friend to all. What do I do now? Hey, Purveya. I'm a 30-year-old guy with a sort of scattered history when it comes to work. After some time in the service, I did some mechanic work, was a construction flagger, and cleaned up at a gym so I could use the facility for free. What I mean is, I'm in good shape, and there's a guy there, Alan, who taught me boxing. Another guy I know, Kev, took me to shoot around some paintballs. I know I'm taking a while, so let me get to the point. I was approached by a woman to be a henchman. She says the job will have a lot of opportunity for travel, I'll meet interesting people from all ages, and I'll see things that most people will never see. It pays a decent living wage, but she said the health plan and the 401k put it over the edge. Do you think I should take the gig? My old lady's expecting, and I think this might be the stable job I've been looking for. Let me know what you think. Job searching in SoCal. Dear SoCal, there are a few things I'd suggest you look for in this woman who's recruiting you. First, does she have pretty blue eyes? If she does, then that's a plus, because pretty blue eyes are certainly something that you can trust. Second, is she smart? If she sounds smart in conversation, then that's another plus. Smart people can probably run a successful business pretty well. Third, what kind of shoes is she wearing? If she has practical shoes for the work that she's doing, then that means she's someone who's prepared. If it were me, I'd look for a dimpled chin, too. I took a personality quiz once that said a cleft chin is a sign of confidence. So if all of that lines up, I say go for it. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? I'm pretty sure there's a probationary period anyway to see if you and the business are a good fit for each other. The job may require that you be away from your old lady for stretches of time, but if you two can make it work, this sounds like a great opportunity. Henchman is a word that gets thrown around a lot, often with a bad connotation. But it really sounds like your head is in the right place, and you're planning for your future. No need to go back to the past. Good luck. The La Brea Purveyor. In the media reviews. Nicholas Gonzalez told NBC Insider that he was pleased that before he died, Levi's arc expanded outside of the drama with the Harris family. He says, obviously last season, Levi was not the same Levi, having lived a life and then come back, having all of those secrets and things that have happened that really changed the dynamics. So it wasn't all about this Eve Levi focus. He was bringing so much more to the puzzle. And now we find out even more. I also have to admit, listener, that I never watched the season three sneak peek. It just never showed up in front of me. 
And to see that that clip ends with Helena and Gavin in a jet that's going to be eaten by a T-Rex. I mean, to quote Zyra Gorecki. There's nothing else happening right now like La Brea. Why wouldn't you want to see that? And that wraps things up for another episode of the La Brea Purveya. I've been your purveyor, Pete Phillips. I hope you enjoyed the show and you'll be tuning in this Tuesday night for the finale. If you're only experiencing La Brea through this show, that's pretty wild, but I still appreciate you. If you have any contribution you'd like to make, hit me up at yallheardpod at gmail.com. I'd love to bring your voice to the show, and I'm running out of time to do that. Feel free to rate and review the show wherever you listen. I'll talk to you next week, and in the meantime, practice swimming, just in case. Just in case.